Hey there, podcast listener. Chris Roseborough here right at the front of the podcast. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. If you don't already support us financially, we truly can use your help. So get on your computer. Go on over to fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons and support us. And, of course, if you would like to do it the traditional way, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your financial support because we truly can't do what we're doing here without it. All right, on to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, April 26, 2012. Yes, no... Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy bizarre things being said out there as a result. Well, we've got to do the Cleanup work. You know, we kind of work from the idea that truth is knowable and it's transcendent. That means is that what's what's true for your church is actually true for my church, too. For instance, um, we can't just say, well, listen, my faith community, we've decided that, you know, that whole Virgin Mary thing, yeah, we're just not hip on that. You know, it doesn't really resonate in our souls, and so we've decided that... We're just not going to teach that, and you know we're going to kind of skip over that portion of scripture, and 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 you know we may not overtly attack it, but we're not really going to take the time to teach it either, or we don't think it's really important or relevant, and so, but that's what we've decided as a tribe. I mean, so uh, if your faith community, you know, you guys want to embrace it, you know, you go right ahead. I mean, we're not going to we're not going to say that you're wrong for doing that, but um, we we hope that you would respect our tribe and our community. And and the things that are relevant and important to us, and you know, and you know, understand that you know we we, we take the Bible very seriously, uh, but you know that again the 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 idea that Jesus was born to a virgin, yeah, you know that it again you know as a tribe as a community we've decided against that. You see, it doesn't work that way, does it? You see, they go, what? What does the word Christian mean then if you're going to be taking what God's word says and rather than believing it, attacking it, denying it, or just, well, suppressing it, you know, not not bringing it out? I mean, what, you know, what does the word faith community mean too? I mean, isn't it weird language? Have you noticed that over the last decade, there's some strange terms that, that have crept into Christianity? The same things happened in the business world, too, by the way. I remember back in the day when I actually worked in the corporate world and I had to wear a tie every day. And I'm very thankful that I don't have to wear a tie every day and I don't have to starch my collars either. I don't, in fact, I don't generally wear shirts that have collars on it. But uh, back in the day, I had to wear a suit uh, or, you know, or, you know, dress business casual. That meant, you know, I had a tie and 
uh, nice dress shirts and things like that. But um, I had gone to a um, a conference, uh, a conference uh, for people who are looking for venture capital for startup project. This was a long time ago when the uh, the internet was still considered like the the most amazing thing ever, and people were willing to throw money at it. Anyway, <laughs> it's like, it doesn't quite happen that way anymore. But anyway, the so we were at this this venture capital thing. And uh, after sitting through, you know, these lectures on, you know, all the steps that you go through to pitch your idea, what's your vision, you know, what's what's the product, um, what is it that your thing's going to do? Um, you know, I, I remember at the at the end of that thing, I was thinking, what is, what is this thing anyway? So I, we I had a conversation with a gal who was working for the organization that was, you know, putting together this thing. And I remember you know, she's saying, so exactly, tell me about what your company is, what it does, and what you guys are looking for. And I, I gave her a summary. So so what you're really saying is is that you need a rainmaker. And I, um, yeah, that, yeah, we, we're fresh out of rainmakers. And <laughs> I didn't know what she was talking about. Of course, you know, I didn't want to look stupid, you know, so I, I did, you know, like a Michael Scott, you know, I acted like I knew what I was listening to. And <laughs> Oh man, but uh, you know, it's, uh, and so you know, there's isn't it weird when you know there's like all this different language that's come into the church, and uh, at, when the emerging church came on the scene in the early two uh, thousands, I mean everyone was talking about authentic missional incarnational communities and you know, and stuff like that, and it, it hasn't gotten any better. In fact, a lot of the seeker driven churches, I mean they're. You know, they, you got to sit there. You know, they'll, they'll sit there and tell you the importance of uh, of intentionally making organic communities and things like that. And you're just sitting there going, "What is this?" I mean, so if I intentionally make a missional organic community, do I get a vente mocha latte with that to go along with it? I mean, I just don't know. And so there's this all these new words and all this new language and all this stuff that's being kicked about. And what you find is is that you've got this weird language. As it pertains to community, what is organic community? Now, I don't know the answer to this, but I mean, in my uh, you know, in my Kindle here, um, I've got books by seeker-driven uh, guys who are prominent in uh, the organization Leadership Network uh, on organic community, and uh, I've got the latest. Uh, you know, book on small groups uh, from the purpose-driven guys, and it, you know, it's all about well, um, well. In fact, hang on, this is uh, from the uh, this is the latest small groups book written by the folks uh, with Saddleback. Hang on a second. The name of it is Small Groups with Purpose: How to Create Healthy Communities. How to create healthy communities? Okay, what is what is that about? I mean. Where in the Bible does it talk about creating healthy communities? Why is it that, that that's what we're doing? And then, and then here we go. We got uh, this book here. This is a, a leadership network book. Organic community, creating a place where people naturally connect. What's an organic community? Why all of a sudden is all of their? It's not all of a sudden. This has been going on for a while. But you got to pay attention to this, okay? Pay attention, you know, with, with, there's a church that you are maybe attending, and they have this emphasis on in creating intentional community, organic community and stuff. What does that mean? Where is is this Christian doctrine? I mean, how come I can't go to like a good ancient dogmatics text 
and find the section on organic communities. Um, and by the way, uh, if you pay close attention to the way they're defining organic community, it's not the same idea as the body of Christ. You know, we're you know it talks about having different gifts, and we all together as the church are the body of Christ. But instead, it, it's it's weird language, and over and again, you know, when you read these books or you read these articles or you listen to these pastors, there is an overt um, deconstructing of the idea of the individual. It's as if the individual doesn't exist. I mean, you know, I, I've pointed this out before then. Do you attend a church where the smallest unit that's recognized in your church is a group? For instance, I mean, just Google the phrase. Um, our church is a community of small groups. Google that phrase, and you will be shocked at how many churches come up. It's not like one or two. I mean, it's like, it's a huge number. Our church is a community of small groups. Hmm. What's a com what's a community of small groups, and why is it that the smallest unit in those community-focused churches is a small group rather than an individual member? What what's going on here? Where did the individual go? And 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 then you know you 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 somebody asks questions and they'll say, "I'm sorry." I forgot to tell you, this church isn't about you. Isn't it weird how they talk that way? Or you get Perry Noble. Perry Noble saying from his stage, our church doesn't have membership. It has ownership because members have rights and owners have responsibilities. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? I mean, like the, all of church has somehow been flipped up on its head and if you if you as an individual question the leader or have a question about the theology or what or what the church is doing i mean you individually are dismissed in in fact in those churches it's kind of weird because i mean anonymity wouldn't even be the right way of saying it i mean you know it's you're 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 actually a number you're the 2367th person to show up to that church, and you are a member of a group. You, th this is our organic community, and then if we need you to get involved in a small group because we are a community of small groups. The individual um, is not, well, recognized. Isn't that weird? Don't you think that's odd? What's even weirder is that uh, today on uh, Fighting for the Faith, I'm going to be playing a brief soundbite from a recent sermon preached by Mark Driscoll where he takes time in the sermon to say to the effect of teaching our kids to sing the song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, is to teach them falsely. It's weird, weird. Because why is it that all of a sudden that the community is the thing that's organic and real and the individual isn't okay that's that's frightening if you think about it i mean really frightening if you think about it i mean cuz a, a community is abstract you know the, the that that's a community okay that, and you know the, the, it's kind of a, an abstraction but an individual is not abstract that's a concrete understandable thing 
okay? I can have a conversation with John, and John is a real individual. He has a name, okay? And why would I somehow make him the abstraction and the community that he may be a part of, and, and he may be a part of more than one community, it becomes the real thing and John isn't, okay? Things get really dangerous, I mean really dangerous in society, when human beings become abstractions. Things get really dicey because as soon as you make an individual human being who has a name, a nameless abstraction or just a number, well, <clears throat> bad things never, in fact, bad things always happen when that happens. And is it we isn't it weird to you that the church is leading the way now in talking about itself in such a way that it's almost as if the church is trying to inductively teach us and the society that the individual is not important. It's the organic community that's the thing. Yeah, that's that's um that's bad. You know, I, I, you know, I'm not a big Descartes fan, and uh, you know, you can't exactly call me a Cartesian, but I'm not an anti-Cartesian. Um, and I think that the founding fathers were on to something in the Declaration of Independence when they said that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, and are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights: the right to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness those rights are endowed down to the individual level well if the individual is turned into an abstraction and the community is said to be the thing that really exists then um where do the inalienable rights lie with the individual or with the community well, if they don't lie with the individual because the individual doesn't exist or the individual is turned into an abstraction, then the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness supposedly lies then in the community, not in the individual. And the community could justify all kinds of things when it comes to how it treats the individuals within it with the idea that we're pursuing the good of the community. You understand what I'm saying? So why is it that the church is leading the way in all of this organic community talk? Well, for sure. I mean, the Bible teaches about the body of Christ, but I don't see all the big emphasis on community, especially as somehow somehow mutually exclusive to the concept of, of us. You understand what I'm saying? We'll, we'll kind of flesh this out as the program goes on today. So let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Got a couple of things that I want to get to today. It'll be a, sh a slightly shorter edition of Fighting for the Faith. I've got a new story um, uh, from Fox23.com about a church that's serving up, uh, well, a ch church in a bar um we're going to we're going to play that story and we're going to ask a couple of questions. I mean this is not anything really that rocket science new. We've seen churches like this 
across the country. In fact, uh, the folks over there at the Crossing Church in Elk River, Minnesota, have done something very similar. And so we're going to take a look at uh, this news story and ask some appropriate questions. And then that'll also be, uh, you know, we're going to do a sermon review from that church uh, in uh, hour number two. I've got a news story regarding Oprah Winfrey confesses Christ during New York City life class tour. Um, you got to take a look at that. Um, I've got a David Crank um, a video that I just can't seem to make heads or tails of. And what I mean by that is this, is that, okay, David Crank is supposedly a pastor, right? Um, and so he's taking time to make videos that I'm assuming are supposed to be like devotional type thoughts. Um and the name of this one is from Pastor David Crank of that's Faith Church in uh, St. Louis. The name of it is Leadership Disruption. Leadership Disrupt. I have no idea what that's about. So we're going to take a listen to that, and uh, and then like I said, I've got a uh, I I've got a soundbite that I want to get to from uh, Mark Driscoll, and uh, the name of the video is Jesus Loves Us. This we know. And my question is, why on earth is a Christian pastor taking time during a sermon to deconstruct the concept of an individual? And then we'll take a look at what the Bible says regarding that. So, I mean, we got we got lots of ground to go. And it sounds like, you know, you, you know, Chris, you sound puzzled. Yes, I got my puzzle around today. I've, today is one of those ones where I, I think my, I, I would like to play these things and, and ask questions. Ask questions like, why is this going on? What is this? You know, those are the kinds of questions that I... So this, maybe this then what I'll, it'll be what I named today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. The what is this uh, edition of Fighting for the Because, you know, there's, I just got a lot, a lot of questions. So uh, with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. And uh, keep in mind that your listener experience, you know, the, we want to maximize that. And it really does mean a lot to me that you have, you know, the greatest listener experience possible while listening to Fighting for the Faith. So with that in mind, um, it, it's important to note, fuzzy bunny slippers do enhance your listener experience. And of course, if you'd like to enjoy an adult beverage while listening to Fighting for the Faith. We don't have a problem with that. Just keep in mind that the biblical prohibition is against drunkenness. You do not want to abuse a good gift that God has given us. All right, with that, let's dive into the program. From the Christian Post, headline reads, Oprah Winfrey confesses Christ during New York City life class tour. Um... Boy, uh, yeah, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but isn't Oprah Winfrey known for all kinds of crazy, bizarre spirituality? Um, isn't she responsible for bringing us the great teachings of the New Age guy Eckhart Tolle? Isn't she really good friends with Deepak Chopra and has brought his bizarre New Age? You know, I mean, this is a woman who um, I, I, my question is, how are you defining Christian? And what's weird about this is if you think about this, I mean, um, I, I saw a video where um, T.D. Jakes was recently on Oprah's uh, 
program. And um, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, that, well, T.D. Jakes, you know, would accept Oprah Winfrey's confession of being a Christian here. And, of course, everybody knows that T.D. Jakes has got a clean bill of theological health from James McDonald and Mark Driscoll. So, I mean, by extension now, uh, we can say that the Elephant Room 2 has not only brought T.D. Jakes into the fold, but we can probably argue that T.D. Jakes... Uh, with that authority from the Elephant Room too, is bringing Oprah Winfrey into the, you know the big tent of Christianity now. But uh, Nicola Menzi of the Christian Post writes, Oprah Winfrey, appearing in New York City during the Monday broadcast for her life class, professed to being a Christian twice during her introduction, which one publication took as evidence of her confession in Christ. The Black Christian News Network suggested that Winfrey was a secret follower of Jesus, and those critical of Winfrey's confession were akin to Pharisees. <sighs> yeah, see, there you go. So playing the Pharisee card. By the way, if you ever point something out by way of saying, wait a second, that's not what the Bible teaches, and somebody says, you're a Pharisee, that's called playing the Pharisee card. And just so you know, you need to put this into your computer or have it queued up somewhere and be ready to, you know, to zing it out quickly. If you're ever accused of being a Pharisee, Go to Google and type in Todd Wilkin playing the Pharisee card. Todd Wilkin of Issues Etc. a few years ago wrote a brilliant article called, you know, called Playing the Pharisee Card where he addresses this issue. So already we got a problem here. Okay, So, so we got these this, the Black Christian News Network suggesting Winfrey has been a secret follower of Jesus all along. And if you question it, you're... A Pharisee. That's an ad hominem argument, but it's a particular type of ad hominem argument. Um, so anyway, in what appears to be an opinion piece on Winfrey's Monday Night Confession, BCNN writes that Winfrey has made her Christian faith clear to her millions of fans and before the entire world for the glory of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, wait a second. Um, Really? So Oprah has confessed Jesus Christ, confessed to being a Christian, and this is all to the glory of Jesus Christ. Well, let's test that out here. And we're going to work from the idea that, well, Jesus cares about sound doctrine. Why? Because God the Holy Spirit inspired the biblical authors, uh, especially the Apostle Paul, to emphasize the importance of, well, sound biblical doctrine. So let's take a look. Well, uh, listen, actually, I'll, I'll be looking. You can listen uh, to what Oprah said, see how much glory Jesus Christ received as a result of her confession of her faith in Jesus Christ at this event. Uh, here's uh, audio from the video. Here we are at the magnificent Radio City Music Hall. Isn't this is a wonderful stage for another Life Class event? You know, it's been quite a ride. Nothing quite like this has ever been done before on television, and it is no small thing to create the world's biggest classroom! And I couldn't do it without all of you here. This is a dream of mine. This is the reason why I created a network, to be able to connect with you all and to be able to use this platform in such a way that it would allow you to open up to the greatest possibilities of your life. And open up to the greatest possibilities of your life. Hmm. Have a little fun while you're doing it. So I want those of you around the world to keep those tweets and Facebook posts coming. I want to hear from you wherever you are. So far in life class, we have learned how to stop the pain. Missy Yanla. 
how to live fearlessly, Tony Robbins, and to tap into our life's purpose. Uh, you didn't, you didn't uh, call Rick Warren. You uh, went to Tony Robbins to <clears throat> tap into your life's purpose. Okay. Tonight, we're taking a chance as we tap into our spiritual side. Anybody know what their spiritual side is? No. That's good. I am not talking about religion. Okay. This is all to the glory of Jesus, remember. I, I, I am not talking about religion. I, I am a Christian. That is my faith. I'm Define the word. I'm not asking you to be a Christian. If you want to be one, I can show you how. <laughs> but it is not required. I have re So it's not required to be a Christian. Unless, of course, you um, don't want to spend eternity with God and prefer to spend it in hell. Respect for all faiths. All faiths. So she's got respect for all faiths. Being a Christian, is it's not mandatory. But what I'm talking about is not faith or religion. I'm talking about spirituality. So I want to get clear on what I mean by that. It Please means do. My definition is your definition, not the Bible's, not God's, yours. Living your life with an open heart through love. Well, living your life with an open heart through love. I don't even know what it means. Living your life with an open heart, allowing yourself to align with the values of tolerance, acceptance, of harmony, of cooperation, and reverence for life. Ah, not faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. This sounds, well, definitely New Age and Eastern to me. Life. Now, there is a force, energy, consciousness, divine thread. I a force, energy, consciousness. Huh, the Bible doesn't mention that. I believe that connects all spiritually to all of us, to something greater than ourselves. So Oprah's a Jedi, got it. Now, if you're living in the space of an open heart, you have a blessed life. Mm. So you have a blessed life if you live in the space of an open heart. Uh-huh. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Nope, Bible mentions none of this nonsense. If you are living in the space of an open heart, you have a blessed life, and I believe that there is no life without a spiritual life. Okay. Say that again. There so she's the new guru, basically revealing the things the Bible hasn't revealed. There is no life without a spiritual life because we are all spiritual beings having a human experience. Really? We're all spiritual beings having a human experience. <clears throat> yeah, this sounds like the new age to me. Are you sure? I, I'm, I gotta, you know, question those folks over that, um, you know, that uh, BN whatever news source. Um, just basically ask the question, how is Jesus glorified through this again? How is this a profession of faith in Jesus Christ? I mean, <clears throat> have you all read the book 1984, George Orwell's book? And uh, the concept of doublethink. If you haven't read 80, 1984, you might want to reread it. But doublethink is kind of this idea that uh, you know that the um, the powers that be 
can basically contradict themselves, and you just think it twice, and they're right both times. So Oprah Winfrey's right when she says she's a Christian and she has faith in Jesus Christ, and she's right when she po- she spouts this spiritual snuff that has is absolutely antithetical to Christianity. Both are true. Only in the world of doublethink is that possible. This is in the universe where two plus two equals bonanza. Um, that's possible, but not in the world where two plus two equals four. Okay. If the world that you live in two plus two equals 79, well, then this is okay. But if you live in the real world where two plus two equals four, then we've got a problem here because my question is how is she defining terms at this point? She says she's a Christian. And yet everything she's spewing here is absolutely contrary to what the Bible teaches and what Christ has taught. So are you ready to open your heart? No. Are you ready? Are you ready to allow abundance and blessings? People can't figure out allow abundance and blessing. Wow, yeah. How I got to be so successful? Yeah, tell it is us. Because I have lived in the space of spirit my whole life. Oh, so that's how she did it. Yeah. My favorite Bible verse, because I am Christian. Uh, no, you're not. The word Christian, the way you're using it, has no meaning. It's not a biblical definition that you're using. Uh, is Acts. Something. Yeah, you know, Acts something, uh-huh. I used to know the number, but it's, it's an Acts. Y'all can Google it. But it says, thank you, 1728. In God I live and move and have my being. Oh, yeah, so you take Paul out of context to turn him into a pantheist like you. I live. And how does this glorify Jesus again? And move and have my being. And you want to know why I am really so successful? I knew that at four years old. I knew that when my grandmother said, you better watch me. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to be successful like Oprah, well, then you need to learn how to be a new age pantheist like her. You know what this reminds me of? Have you all read the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis? The last book in the series is entitled The Last Battle. And in the book The Last Battle, C.S. Lewis kind of projected, you know, what the the end times would look like for the world of Narnia. And it was marked by, well, religious syncretism. And that would be the, you know, an apostasy from true belief in their god his name is aslan and in fact there was a there was a um, in the narnia series you learn that of the, these people uh who believe in a false god god called tash who's really icky, icky and evil and wicked and what happens is is that in the last days of narnia um this ape and a donkey and a, the donkey kind of unwillingly is duped and you know manipulated into doing this um, create some kind of religion where they syncretistically combine Tash with Aslan, and they start worshiping Tashlan. It's this 
horrible, terrible, disgusting, syncretistic thing. That's what this sounds like. So here you got Oprah Winfrey. Oh, I'm a Christian. And Eckhart Tolle and Deepak Chopra and this other person, they're going to teach us the spirituality that I've always embraced as a Christian. This is trying to syncretize Christianity with demonic spirituality. And that's what this is. This isn't faithfulness to what God has revealed in his word. This is flat-out rebellion. And what she's, in do what she's doing is flat-out doublespeak. It's syncretistic and it's wrong. Pray for her, because if she doesn't repent, then she's going to die in her sins. This isn't Christianity. There's nothing Christian about it. Christ and the apostles taught nothing like this, and they called people who believed in this type of nonsense to repent of their false belief, their false gods, their false religion, and their false spirituality, and to repent and have no other God but the one true God. And be forgiven by his death on the cross for their sins. Scary days. Scary days that we live in. By the way, there was a kind of a word of warning here. The article adds, before you criticize her about why she didn't come out as a Christian sooner, just remember that Jesus had his public disciples, the Peters, Jameses, and Johnses, but also had his secret disciples, the Nicodemuses and the Joseph of Arimathea. So there you go. See, the reason why she wasn't so public about her Christianity before is because, because she was you know, secretly a disciple of Jesus. No, she's not. No true disciple of the historic Jesus would have anything spiritually to do with Deepak Chopra or Eckhart Tolle. This is his flat-out demonic. All right, we are up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. You're listening to the Emergence Sports Network here on Pirate Christian Radio. You've tuned in just in time to catch today's Emergence Ball match between the Pomo Bombers and the Majestic Mystics. Today's match is proudly brought to you by Rex Quando's Bible Pants. There's the buzzer, and they're off. McLaren dribbles a pigskin down to first base, takes out his putter, and... Whoa! Jones checks McLaren against the boards, and then passes to Paget in left field. But wait, Bulls Weber is charging from the 10-yard line, and she slam dunks from the foul line. That's a birdie! 
The crowd is going wild. When was the last time you saw something like that? I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. Okay, play is resuming. There's Rollins. He serves to Bell. Bell snatches the snitch. And then Hail Mary passes to McLaren. McLaren is in the end zone. Oh, and he slaps it back to third base. Tickle grabs her wicket and then punts one out into center court. It looks like Jones and Padgett are double-teaming Bowles Weber. He doesn't have a shot, so she slices one off into the rough. McLaren is there to make the safety, but Padgett grabs McLaren's face mask and then throws down to second base. What a brilliant save that was. Jones takes out his driver, then sends one out to midfield. Tickle headbutts the ball and then sends it back to McLaren. He vaults over the pummel horse. Oh, and he sticks the landing. Unfortunately, the degree of difficulty wasn't that high, but McLaren racked up seven brownie points. Tickle sets up for the kickoff. But wait, Jones is trying to steal third base. Tickle slap shots the ball back to Bulls Weber, but Jones is safe. He's safe. That means it's going to be third down with 44 meters to the pin. Looks like this match is going to go into sudden death. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Warning, those people who are trying to syncretize Christianity with New Age spirituality are not Christians, regardless of whether or not they use the word Christian. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. And you can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount, that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, moving along, I'm beginning to think that if I'm going to be doing more David Crank updates, I might need to come up with some David Crank music. Not sure what fits at this point, but just you know, thinking out loud here, maybe I'll have some ideas. But David Crank... 
uh, has been prolifically posting videos on YouTube, little thought bombs, if you would. And as a pastor, I just my question is, where is he getting any of this, and why is it that he took time to make a video devotional um, for this? Anyway, here's David Crank, Crank talking about leadership disruption. Here we go. Hello to all my Facebook and Twitter friends. I'm sitting out here in this beautiful park today thinking about leadership just a little bit. You know, this garden area is lush. They Yeah, because, you know, when I think of Christianity, the first thing that comes to my mind is leadership. Water it. They fertilize it. They trim it. Isn't that what leadership is all about? Here's some thoughts that I had. Number one is people follow leaders that are just a little bit further along than they are and a little stronger than they are. Right, yeah, because... Uh, what does this have to do with Jesus Christ and the Bible again? You know, as a leader, we must continue to stretch our capacity each and every day so that we are on a higher level than those who are actually wanting to go to the next level. Uh-huh. Uh, if they pass you, you won't be their leader any longer. No, you'll be their follower. You'll, you'll, be, you'll, get, you'll be in their jet wash. Yeah. That's just a thought. I often say that a mind stretch will never go back to its original size. Right. Didn't Confucius say that? As we continue to lift the lid and ceiling off of our lives and we think outside of the box, yeah. we'll actually attract people that are outside of the box kind of thinkers. Here's a- right. So if you need to attract people who are outside of the box, well, then you just need to be an out-of-the-box kind of thinker. <laughs> okay. Another thought I have. Thought number two. By the way, I have a master's degree in business administration emphasizing leadership and organizational change. Uh, so I know a couple of things about leadership. Um, yeah, this is um, <laughs> this is like, well, uh, this is like Scubalon leadership. This is just ridiculous. This doesn't mean anything. Um, as somebody who's actually been in the business world and understands leadership, and well, I have a degree uh, that emphasizes it. Um, this is not anything I would turn to as a resource that would really be helpful on the topic of leadership. Is this? Make sure that you're not treating each individual under you the same. Yeah. Not everybody requires the same kind of input from you as a leader. Wow, yeah, that's deep. One of the mistakes that I made early on was thinking that everybody was uh, should hear everything that everybody else hears. Everybody should uh, be treated the same way. One person might have a personality where they need strong correction. Yeah. Another person is so sensitive that they need just very light inputs. And if you don't learn to treat each individual under you with a specific skill set yeah. by you, you'll, you'll turn those people off and you'll hurt Wow, yeah, that's that's some good advice right there. And you will cause disruption in your team. Here, here's another thought that I had. In leadership, you're only as good as the lowest level of your life. Uh, really? Okay, so in leadership, I'm only as good as the lowest level of my life. Yep, I'm drawing a complete blank there. Um, what does this have to do with Christianity again, Pastor Crank? Oftentimes in my own life, God is dealing with me about one or two characteristics, or really should we say character flaws. Yeah, we probably should say sins. Hey, if you don't deal with this, this is going to deal with you. If we, <laughs> if you don't deal with this, it's going to deal with you. Wow, okay. Ignore that glaring thing that we know is a problem in our lives. Yeah. Before long, it's going to come up, and it's going to surface. Leadership babble. I, you know, you've heard of psycho babble. This might be Lido babble. I mean, this is... For the time that we don't really need it to surface. So each and every day, you and I must pray, God, help us, reveal to us, God, what are those weaknesses that we have? Yeah. You know, in the life of David... 
Well, you know, if you really <laughs> here's the fun part about that. If, if you say you were to stop and pray, God reveal to me those areas in my life where, you know, I'm coming up short. And then immediately after that, you were to open up the Bible and start reading. There is a really good chance if you spent a lot of time really digging into God's word so that you were purposefully trying to understand the full counsel of the word of God, you wouldn't have to worry about getting a liver shiver about God pointing out to you those areas in your life where you're not coming up quite to standard. (laughs) Putting it euphemistically. (sighs) No, what you would find is, is that, you know, in reading God's word, you'd realize, oh man, I am... It's not that I just make mistakes. I'm like sinful, wretched, and depraved in need of God's mercy and grace. And God's revealed word would do all that for you right there. You wouldn't need any, quote, direct revelation. It was pornography. When he went out on that bench that day in his his porch, he looked over to his left. He seen Bathsheba. He saw her. Something entered his heart. He called for her. They had improper relationships. And you know the story. (laughs) David had an improper relationship. You really? Yeah. Yeah. I got a problem with pastors who can't call a thing what it is. So, so you know, it's okay. He had an improper relationship. So, so what are we going to talk about? You know, what he did to Uriah the Hittite. That would be the husband of uh, Bathsheba. Um, what would, what kind of euphemisms can we come up to, you know, with there? Was that just, well, involuntary manslaughter i mean you know, it was an improper uh life ending event i mean what what would you call that so if you don't deal with what comes in the eye gate and the ear gate it'll deal with you so those are just some thoughts that i had today i love it when you yeah, so we're going to talk about sin but we're not going to talk about jesus shed blood mm-hmm. give me feedback let me know what you think i think this is complete well, Scubalon. If you like this, repost it. Talk to your friends about it. You didn't like it. I'm passing it along to basically tell people if this is what your pastor's doing in his spare time and considers this to be devotional thinking, you need a different pastor. If you have a question or concern, just just post it right there. Let's let's engage in a little bit of dialogue today. Yeah, please email me. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Man, seriously. All right, moving along here. Um, uh, This is a news story from Fox23.com. The headline reads, Bar serves up sermons. Bar serves up sermons. Now, we're going to take a listen to this, and we're going to kind of pick this apart. These kind of stories are always the kind of stories that make you just go, what are these guys thinking? But uh, maybe there's an agenda here. But uh, here, here, listen to the uh, Fox23.com um, well, take on this. Here, listen. Taking the Word of God to one of the least likely places, you'll soon be able to hear Sunday morning sermons from bar stools. Fox 23's Danica Lawrence is reporting live tonight from Glenpool to explain what this is all about, Danica. Now, by the way, this is in Oklahoma. <laughs> Well, Clay, the bar owner, you can see him. He's right behind the bar over there. That's Joe. He was trying to help some of his struggling customers, and he looks to God for answers. And he thought, why not help his regulars by bringing God inside the bar? Call it a holy bar, the drunk monkey bar. (laughs) The drunk monkey bar. Call it a holy bar. Is serving up sermons. Jesus didn't have a church necessarily. He went out to see the people. And so, in essence, it's the same thing here. Joe B. Jesus didn't have a church, so he went out to see the people, and the, the going, you know, having church in a bar is the same thing. 
Dean is a Christian who attends the Celebration Church in Tulsa. He also owns the Drunk Monkey. One busy night, he struggled with one of his regulars. We had a customer when I was talking suicide. And, you know, you try to reach out from back here as much as you can, but it's hard to do when you know you got a full bar. He went to his pastor, Eastman Curtis. And Joe walks up to me and goes, Eastman, just want you know, Pastor, I have a bar and it's near the highway, and so would you mind if maybe we would have church service at our bar? And I thought, that's a great idea. $1,000 and some live streaming equipment later, Eastman and Joe are ready. And despite some people disagreeing, Eastman reminds me, the Bible says Jesus went to the people. When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't like in a cathedral between two candles with stained glass windows. He died on the town trash heap. I mean, we're... It's not the same thing. Sinners are talking smut. It's all about reaching people who are outside of the church. In fact, this is where Eastman was saved, here inside a bar. I was like a mom's worst nightmare. And somebody took the time to, to go to a bar where I was and to share the good news of Jesus. Joe admits he knows people associate bars with sinners, but that's what he's trying to change. Even if you believe it's like the house of the devil, well, I think God can come in here. And that's what they're doing, playing the word of... Uh, notice the confusion here. Okay, now let's, let's put the... Well, I'm going to try to purposely put the best construction on this, okay? All right, sure. Okay, sure. Let's have church in a bar, okay? We're going to convert the space Sunday morning, and we're going to have a pastor pipe in um, his sermon, okay? All right, sure. Okay, we're going to try to sanctify, use for holy purposes, a space that the rest of the time is not used for holy purposes. So we're going to hijack it, sanctify it, and we're going to pipe in sermons. Okay? All right? Well, it's true that Christians uh, in the uh, first few centuries of Christianity, they were persecuted and as a result of it had to meet in some pretty dicey places, including catacombs, that were filled with dead men's bones. So, you know, catacombs and, you know, places like that. So, okay, sure. All right, let's not quibble about the space. My question is, is what's the message they're going to hear? Already we have, there's reason to believe they're not going to hear the biblical gospel. Because, you know, people normally associate bars with sinners. Yeah, but the reality is, is that if you understand the proper distinction between law and gospel, then you ought to, uh, well, associate church itself when you go to church with sinners. Right. If your pastor's doing his job, then you don't come out of church going, oh, I'm the holiest person ever. No, you realize that you are a sinner saved by grace. By the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, you are called a saint. It's not because you're holy. You are declared righteous, declared righteous by what Christ has done, not what you have done. So the, when you go to church, church is a place where sinner saints go to do sacred things, to hear God's word to eat the Lord's Supper, to hear of the forgiveness of sins, things like that. Holy, sacred things go on at church. 
and it's conducted by sinner saints. Not an either or. And see, this is a problem. Is is that the, if the, what I've noticed is is that society, especially in the church, is cutting the tension between categories that we are to hold in tension. Um, so you should associate church as a place for sinners. So my question is, what's what's the gospel they're going to hear? Um, the pastor that's thought this is a great idea there, you know, at Celebration Church, in, you know, in Oklahoma. Um, he doesn't strike me as somebody who may rightly handle God's word. And so what we're going to do in hour number two, in fact, shortly, i got one more segment I want to do before we go into our sermon review. What we're going to do in hour number two is we're going to listen to one of the sermons that would be piped in to this bar in Oklahoma City to ask the question, to ascertain the answer to the question as to whether or not the sinners who show up at the bar to do church on Sunday are going to hear that they are sinners and hear of the shed blood of Jesus Christ shed for them for the forgiveness of their sins or if they're going to get the same kind of self-help, purpose-driven pablum on how to make your life better kind of stuff that we see going on in so many of the other megachurches that do this multi-site thing. And so, I mean, even if I were to not quibble about the, the location for this church service, my question is, are they going to hear the gospel? Are they going to hear sound doctrine and God's word rightly preached, rightly taught, rightly handled? Or are they going to be comforted with a false gospel and have their ears tickled? So we're going to determine that in uh, hour number two. So, I mean, that that's the story from fox23.com out there in Oklahoma. And uh, we'll we'll take a look at that. Okay, moving along. I do, by the way, I've picked out some new music that I'm going to be using uh, whenever I do a Mark Driscoll update, since he's uh, constantly talking about tribes. Yeah, it seems to be everything's tribes with him. Tribe this and your tribe that and tribe, tribe, tribe. So, well, all right. Well, that being the case, I've chosen some music that I will use for our Mark Driscoll updates, uh, you know, on from now on, on into the future. Here, listen in.
Yeah, somehow I, I get the feeling he's not going to like the fact that I chose a Frankie Goes to Hollywood song for Mark Driscoll. Anyway, so uh, Mark Driscoll uh, recently, um, Mars Hill uh, Church in Seattle posted up a, a YouTube video entitled Jesus Loves Us, This We Know. And he said some things that are, well, they're wrong. And I mean that in the strongest sense. They are flat out wrong. Here's why. The Bible doesn't pit the individual against the community, the individual against the church. It is perfectly accurate to say that Jesus Christ loves me and died for me. And it's also perfectly biblically accurate to say that Jesus Christ died and shed his blood for the church. You keep the two in tension, okay? Because here's the deal. Jesus knows you by name. Revelation reveals that uh, when the end comes and you stand face to face before God, when the books are opened and the day of judgment occurs, if your name, you have a name, if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you are saved, right? You are part of those who have been saved out of this generation. And so the Bible doesn't pit the I against the we. It understands that you are both an individual and a member of the church. You are an individual and a member of the body of Christ. It doesn't philosophically try to resolve the tension. The two the two truths remain in tension. You cannot deny one in favor of the other. But listen to what Mark Driscoll does in this video. It's not good. Because here's the truth, friends. If you love Jesus, you have to love the church. No problem with that. Because Christ gave himself for the church. True. And what can happen is sometimes we think it's just me and Jesus. It's not. Um, sometimes we can think it's just me and Jesus. I don't know anybody who has that problem. Do you? The majority of the books of the Bible are written to churches, not... Not all of them, though. Okay, the majority of the books in the Bible are written to churches. Uh, we, <clears throat> what would you do with First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus? Those aren't written to churches. Those are written to individuals. Individuals. So the application is often for the church, not just for the individual. Uh -huh. There are individual applications, but it's us together. Sometimes. And we even teach our kids falsely. Jesus loves who? Did you hear that? We even teach our kids falsely. Jesus loves who? Me. This I know. Okay, let me back this up. I want you to hear this in context. There's something really wrong here. Together. And we even teach our kids falsely. Jesus loves who? Me. This I know. So if you teach your kids, Jesus loves me, you're teaching them falsely. We should sing, Jesus loves us. This we know. Jesus does love you, but he loves us. He loves you, but he loves us. Why is a Christian pastor pitting the individual against the community. What is this? I mean, seriously, I mean, do you think he could realistically, if we were to set up a debate between Mark Driscoll and a biblical scholar, 
you know, one that he would be willing to uh, debate on this issue. Do you think that Mark Driscoll could stand and, and win the argument that it's teaching our kids falsely to say Jesus loves me? That's a weird argument. Now, and in fact, as far as I'm concerned, Mark Driscoll's anti-Cartesian roots are showing here. A little philosophical talk. Luke chapter uh, 18, verse 9. Let me read a uh, parable that Jesus um, gave. Um, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Okay. Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like this, the other men, the extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, uh-huh, would not even lift his eyes to heaven. He beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me. It doesn't say be merciful to us, we're sinners. It says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. The other and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Huh. So I have a name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. God knows me by name. Here I've got an individual sinner praying, God, be merciful to me. And Jesus says he's justified. He didn't pray, be merciful to us. You see what's going on here, folks? There's something wrong. There's something really, really, really wrong. When a Christian pastor is attempting to deconstruct the idea of an individual, and says, I even go so far as to say that we're teaching our kids falsely when we teach them that Jesus loves me. Actually, Jesus does love me, and he loves us. It's not an either-or. We must hold the two in tension. You are an individual for whom Christ died and part of the church, the body of Christ, whom Christ purchased with his blood. It's not an either or. In fact, in the Lutheran Reformation, when the question came up, what is saving faith? Okay, it's instructive to help here. Okay. Saving faith is not something where, you know, where, you know, like when somebody dies, let's say, let's say you have a relative of yours. We'll see. It's your great, great aunt, you know, whom for whatever reason you had a good relationship, even though she was, you know, twice removed or whatever. But your great, great aunt died. Okay. This week, she just died yesterday and, you know, God rest her soul. Is it going to be comforting to you as to whether or not your aunt, your great, great aunt is with Jesus or not? If somebody said to you, oh, don't worry, she was a member of a faith community, would that help? Or would it be helpful for somebody to say, don't worry, have hope. She personally trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of her sins. 
I mean, if somebody came to me and said, oh, don't worry, she was part of a faith community, I'd sit there and go, oh, great. I mean, what's a faith community? And, and you know, how is that supposed to comfort me, right? Instead, it comforts me when I know that my great-great-aunt trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of her sins. And this is where the distinction is important. We talk about saving faith, okay? It's a, it's, it stands in contradistinction to what we would call, like, you know, the faith that the demons have or whatever. Here's, here's the idea, okay? It, it comprises of three things, notitia, ascensus, and fiducia. Here's the idea. Those are the Greek, uh, sorry, the Latin uh, phrases that have come to be associated with the definition. Notitia has to do with the knowledge, the facts of the event. So if, if somebody truly is saved, this is a person who has at least a rudimentary understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done for them, right? They know that Jesus Christ, you can you can even maybe like use the Nicene Creed, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, uh, you know, was raised again on the third day. You know, so, you know, it's some rudimentary idea of who Jesus was in history, that he's God the Son, uh, second person of the Holy Trinity, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, stuff like that. Um, and that he, and, and so that's, that's the knowledge. This is what this historical person, the God man, Jesus Christ, has done, right? Ascensus, the second part of this, a sense that the f- historical data, the information, is is accurate, that it's correct. But somebody who believes that that what you know the the facts about Jesus and what he's done is correct, that's still not somebody who is a Christian. Okay, and here's the reason why: even the devils know that. Okay, do you think Satan and his legion of demons know that? Who, that Jesus Christ was God in human flesh 2,000 years ago. He walked on water, healed the blind, raised the dead, preached the good news to the poor, was crucified, died, and was buried and raised again on the third day. The devil knows that happened, and he assents that that is factually, historically correct and true. Okay? But saving faith occurs when a person is brought to the point where they say, Jesus did that for me. Not for us, for me. You'll notice saving faith is individually appropriated. And this is consistent with what God's Word teaches. Okay? You think about the you know the election. What does what does it say about you know when Paul talks about election that God elected, you know uh, you know he said Jacob I loved Esau I hated. He loved Jacob, the individual, right? That was before Jacob was a community, known as Israel. So we've got a problem, okay. And that is is that there's all this language that's being kicked around in the seeker-driven churches. It's as if they're purposely trying to inductively teach that the individual doesn't exist or is an abstraction or isn't important. And it's patently false to say that we're teaching our kids falsely when we teach them to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. There's nothing heretical in that statement whatsoever. 
And I don't know anybody who teaches their kids, oh, well, that means that Jesus doesn't love us. He just loves me. I don't know anybody who teaches that way. And not only that, I don't know anybody who on a daily basis philosophically spends time trying to figure out what exists. What's more important, the individual or the community? I don't know anybody who talks like that. Except for anti-enlightenment, counter-reformation, anti-Cartesian philosophers. And history has taught us that that, that the philosophy of those anti-enlightenment, anti-liberal, anti-individualistic, anti-Cartesian philosophers, that what they gave humanity, well, let's just say that the logical result of their philosophy was men like Benito Mussolini and Adolf Hitler. Beware of pastors and churches who speak in such a way that they deconstruct the concept of the individual and only talk as if the smallest unit in their church that is considered acknowledged is a group, not a person. Because keep in mind, a community is an abstraction. But you, listener, are not. You have a name. And that name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. God knows you by name. And he died for you individually. And he purchased the church, us, through his blood. It's not an either or. And anybody who would cut that, the cord of that tension that exists in Scripture is gravely mistaken and messing with things that they ought not to mess with. And the results that history has shown us of what happens when people start messing with that tension, bad things happen. All right, we are up on our second break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask me, my friend, on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Sermon review on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Okay. 
Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Short sermon today. Consider it kind of like a reprieve. <laughs> Still not good, though. Ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon uh, piped in from a bar called the Drunken Monkey uh, from Celebration Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Eastman Curtis presiding. The name of the sermon we'll re be reviewing <clears throat> is entitled Freedom from Fear. And all I can say is, is that this sermon should make you afraid. Really, really afraid. Oh, man. You know, I should read to you a little bit about uh, Eastman here. From his bio page on their website. Um... The, the quote is, I was living in Central Florida and had an experience that forever changed my life. At the age of 17, I had been expelled from three schools for drugs and alcohol, but my life was radically changed in one moment in an encounter with Jesus. One night in my dorm room, my life was transformed when I received the love that God had for me. And I thought he said he was converted in a bar. Anyway, I immediately moved moved from a flunky student to the honor roll, was elected senior class president, as well as received the first full scholarship at my college prep school. The scholarship was awarded for my leadership abilities and model conduct. Now that's a total hoot, especially if you would have known me the year before. The next semester, I started a Bible study at my college prep school and saw phenomenal results. So he's a results guy. Man... <laughs> After attending college for a few years, I decided to travel with a gospel music group playing drums. Under the direction of Terry Law, we ministered in the communist bloc countries of Eastern Europe. After returning from traveling overseas, I moved to Spokane, not Spokane, Washington, to be a youth pastor and had a blast. Next, traveled with my friends John Jacobs and the Power Team as an associate evangelist. By that time, I was ready to start traveling on my own. I ministered to groups of tens of tens of thousands of people. Those were some fun times traveling and seeing souls saved. So there we go. That's just a little bit about this guy. Um, so that's who you're going to be hearing from. Uh, Eastman Curtis, Celebration Church. I chose uh, this sermon uh, just randomly you know, from what he has available on his website. After hearing that uh, this is what I can hear uh, being preached at the Drunken Monkey Bar in Tulsa. So here we go. Here's Eastman Curtis. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Eastman and Don Curtis of Celebration Church here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. 
We welcome you to today's podcast. What you're about to experience is a message from one of our Sunday morning services. You know, we believe today's message you're about to hear is going to bless and inspire and motivate you to receive the best God has for you. So buckle your seatbelt. It's going to motivate me to receive the best that God has for me. Uh-oh. Hang on as you join our Sunday morning service right here at Celebration Church. The Bible says in John chapter 20, verse 19, listen to this. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for... So this is a text that would, you know, be preached during the Easter season. This is a a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus Christ. For fear of the Jews. Everybody say fear. Say it again. Say it. I'm not going to say it at all. Like you hate it. I hate fear. You know, the Bible tells us, I don't care how many people you have seen saved through the ministry that God has given you. I don't care how long you have been born again. I don't care how much money you have given to the church. It doesn't matter what great things you have done, how you've helped poor people, how you've done all these wonderful things. If the enemy, no matter who you are, no matter how long you've been saved, if the enemy can get you to get into a realm of fear, he's going to paralyze you. And that seems to be his goal. To tr- Serious? You're going to read a post-resurrection passage from the Gospel of John, and the most important thing you can find in that is the word fear, and you're going to make your entire sermon around that point. I mean, this is worse than missing the forest because of the tree. I mean, I mean, this, oh man. Try to get you in fear. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs that the fear of man is a snare. Everybody say snare. I don't know if you've ever seen an animal stuck in a snare, but it's it's a pathetic thing. They can't move forward. They can't move back. They are stuck. And that's exactly what fear does. Fear paralyzes you. Has anybody ever been so afraid they were just paralyzed? One time I was camping. My girls asked me the other day, they go, what's the most afraid you've ever been? It was on a camping trip. I had taken my horse. I had a uh, a, a buckskin uh, quarter horse, and I had ridden way out in the woods, camping next to a little pond in Florida. And as I am camping in this, you know, next to this little pond, the crickets are going, the frogs are going, and it's loud. It's almost sounds like a jungle. You know, you're in Florida. There's a big fog that is rolled in. And I remember, you know, camping, and I'm just just sound asleep, and all the frogs and everything. It's just a it's a drowning sound. I mean, it's just it's thunderous actually. And I'm laying there in my sleeping bag, and I've I've passed out, and I'm still aware of the sound that's going on. Yeah, he sure is doing a lot of talking about himself. Yeah, I would like to go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. If you have your Bible, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 19, I think there's something more important in this passage than the word fear. I just call me, you know, a one-trick pony. I seem to have only one drum that I like to beat, and that's the Jesus drum. Um, yeah, considering the fact that uh, this is the sermon we could have heard at the Drunken Monkey Bar, I, I want to make sure those um, those folks at the Drunken Monkey Bar are going to hear about Jesus. And so, I mean, the text of this sermon is supposedly based on the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 19. Here is what it says 
On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, that would be a Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, you don't get the immediate context, but you got to understand what's going on here. Okay, Jesus, just in the previous chapter, had been crucified and was murdered and he was dead and buried in the, in the in the section of this gospel just before this we have the account of Mary at the tomb of Jesus weeping because the stone had been rolled away and they thought they'd taken Jesus's body right and an angel appeared to her yeah let me back this set the story up of John chapter 20 verse 11 Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stopped to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, the other at the feet, and said, they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was him. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned around and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have yet not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Right? So on, now we're at verse 19. So on the evening of that day, this would be resurrection day, Easter Sunday, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Ah, now we know why they're afraid. They just murdered Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They're thinking the Jews are going to come and, you know, the Jewish officials of the synagogue and the temple are going to come and and arrest Jesus' disciples. They murdered him. What do you think they're going to do to them, you know? So that's why they're afraid. So now we understand the context. So Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even though I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, Jesus' disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And when he and then he said to Thomas, "Put your finger here. See my hands, and put your put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe." And Thomas said to him, "Hakurios mu kaiha theos mu, my Lord and my God." 
And Jesus, notice he didn't say our Lord and our God. Thomas said my Lord and my God. <clears throat> yeah, no, more proof. We got problems with Mark Driscoll's busting up of the tension between the I and the we. Anyway, so uh, <clears throat> Jesus said, uh, have you believed because you've seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, so here, um, this uh, Curtis, Eastman Curtis guy, who's who you could hear this sermon preached at the Drunken Monkey Bar, um, and the name of the sermon is Freedom from Fear, and here he's supposedly found an important point in John chapter 20, verse 19, uh, that the uh, disciples were locked behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. And that's what he's decided to preach on. I mean, this would be like, um, you know, for, let me give you an example. I mean, uh, for, let's say that you decided that you wanted to go to New York City and to, and to go and see a Broadway musical, okay? And let's say, you know, I, I don't know of any Broadway musicals. What would be a good one? I mean, um... Let's say you decided to go say uh, see Les Miserables. Yeah, I've never seen it. Um, oh man, yeah, it shows you how much of a culture guy I am. Anyway, but uh, let's say that you decide to go to see Les Mis, right? And you know, I know it takes place somewhere in France, maybe Paris even. And so you decide to read up on you know on some of the lo you know the uh, what what the local theater Broadway critics have written regarding the current production of Les Mis, right? So that you go and you find, you know, a, a newspaper, you know, I, I don't know. And, and you get you look at the section there uh, here. You got a critique of the of Les Mis uh, that's currently playing on Broadway. And what happens is, is that the theater critic, the Broadway critic, decides that he's going to end up making his entire point that this is a production that you've got to see because he loves the fresh paint job on the light poles on the set of Les Mis. <laughs> You're going, what? You're right. I mean, talk about missing the point. He doesn't say anything about the singing. Doesn't say anything about the stars, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the, the main, main guy or the main gal or their ability to act or sing or, or the production of everything. He's just super excited about the fresh paint job on the streetlight you know, that's shown in this, you know, in the Paris scene there for Les Mis. I mean, talk about missing the point. I mean, so here you got Eastman Curtis preaching on the phrase for fear of the Jews. All this is doing is setting up the scene for you. Okay. This is setting up the scene so that you can understand the drama that's going to unfold on the scene. What happens on the scene is, is that get this. The dead guy rose from the grave and he appeared to them. He was dead. He was in the tomb. You know, on the third day after he was crucified by Pontius Pilate, he was raised from the, and they physically saw him and touched him and talked to him. Okay, and this guy, Eastman Curtis, is stuck on the scene set up in, the, in, in this gospel. I mean, talk about missing the point. I mean, if this is how bad of a handler of God's word is, I'm pretty sure that the folks there at the drunken monkey bar who, are, who think they're at a church, they're not hearing the biblical gospel. I mean, this is not somebody who's showing himself 
approved as a workman who need not blush with embarrassment and who can rightly handle the word of truth. I mean, if your big point is is that you're going to make a point off of the scene set up in the, in the gospel and not talk about what Jesus did, he rose from the dead. And you miss that? How did you miss that? And all of a sudden, as I'm camping out there all by myself, all of a sudden I hear this blood-curling scream, this high-pitched shrill. It, I just envisioned some lady getting her head you know, cut off real slow just because it was a high, ah, and I, I've never heard anything quite like that, just a desperate scream. And all of a sudden everything got quiet. The crickets stopped. The frogs quit croaking. It was silent. I'm all by myself, except for my horse is about 100 yards away. And I'm just laying there thinking, what the heck was that? If I'm real still, maybe they won't find me. You ever been there before? So I put my head underneath the sleeping bag a little bit more and just zipped it up. And I'm just laying there, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I rebuke you, devil. Stay away, stay away, stay away. All of a sudden, the frogs started kicking back in. About 10 minutes later, crickets are going. And that drowning sound is just going on again. So I felt my heart settle down, start to relax a little bit. I'll figure out what it is in the morning. I don't want to do it right now. I'm safe and secure in my sleeping bag. About five minutes later, just as I'm drifting off, well, actually about 10 minutes, drifting off again, I hear about two feet away from my head that blood-curling scream one more time. I was so scared, I was literally paralyzed. And I thought, I am scared to death. I am about to die. And I thought, if I'm going to die, I don't want to be from dying from death. I want that person to just cut my head off, too. I got to at least fight. So I'll never forget what I did. You know what I did? I unzipped my sleeping bag, and I jumped out of my sleeping bag. And I thought, this person's out here. I'm going to freak. What does this have to do with the Bible? Freak them out. I just started screaming in other tongues, you know, just walking around, just. And I realized what it was, a little screech owl this big I felt like such an idiot has anybody else ever been there before and normally because I've camped I know this I've never experienced a screech owl that close to my head before but a lot of times in our life we we allow fear and it literally does paralyze us fear is paralyzing the Bible says the fear of man is a snare everybody say snare goes on to say, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. Fear will hold you captive. It will keep you stuck. Years ago, some of you may have known this, but when I was a little kid growing up, my dad sent me to Bush Gardens. Now, my dad owned a tourist attraction himself, but he sends me to Bush Gardens, which is another tourist attraction. That well, here we go. Another story about him. He sure is like talking about himself, doesn't he? There in Florida. He wants me to learn how to train macaws. So he'd called the president of Bush Gardens. He said, hey, listen, my son, would you mind if he came over and just hung out for a summer? Because I want him to learn how to train macaws and all this kind of stuff because I'm about to purchase some birds. So I did for a whole summer at Bush Gardens. I was about 15 years old. I hung out there. Man, really enjoyed it. Got to learn a whole bunch of stuff. And what happened was I come back and my dad 
has bought a bunch of macaws, those big parrot birds, you know, that are from South and Central America. He, he buys them, and how they would get these birds from South America, they would just pull them out of the wild. I mean, these birds were, they were wild. When I say wild, I mean, they pull them, they shoot cannons up that had these. Uh... By the way, this is a sermon you would have heard at the Drunken Monkey Bar, you know. Um... Not convinced those folks are being helped by this guy. Nets on them, and they'd shoot them over the tree, and they'd, they'd capture these birds. They'd put them in a little crate, two and three at the same time, and then they'd ship these crates off to the United States. Things have changed a little bit since the, since the 70s. I just want you to know that. They don't do that anymore. And so what happened, I got these wild birds. And the when I say wild, folks, I mean like jungle wild birds and i remember it took me a day to get them out of the crate even just to put them in their own bird cage and so i began working with the birds and i began to train them i trained one bird to ride a bicycle across the high wire trained another bird to roller skate it looked really cool because you know the way their feathers are you know with their wings it looked like their arms are behind their back they're just going at it we had little roller skates just little teeny ones that we had made for them and we trained a you know bird to drive a jeep to the end of the counter a little toy jeep to the end of the counter and get out lift up the hood and grab a peanut you know, out of the under the hood. It was just it was a cool thing. So I, I trained I did the same almost exact bird show as Bush Gardens, but we brought over there and, and I taught him a couple extra tricks like a form board, how to put money in a piggy bank. And so I had the I had the whole bird show done. After about a year I I trained all the birds. So the birds are doing the bird show, but in the course of the year there was one bird in particular that didn't have you know, I didn't train him, he trained me basically. And birds are, macaws are intelligent. I know they have a brain about the size of a kumquat, but they use it, you know. They use their brain. Most of them do. And, and this bird was intimidating. He was a master at intimidation. His name was Bo. And he would never bite me when I was, you know, by myself. Because if the bird bit you when you're by yourself. Don't you think it's sad that the folks there at the uh, Drunken Monkey Bar are going to learn more about a macaw than they are going to uh, learn about Jesus? If you just pop them in the head, it's no big deal. You just slap them and they stop. But this bird was so intelligent. He knew. He, he just learned how I operate. He knew that I would never hit him, do anything brutal to him if I'm in front of people because people always feel sorry for the bird, you know. You're standing there with your fingers bloody and all this stuff, and, and if you hit the bird, it's like, oh, you hit the bird. You just got nubs for fingers, but they're feeling sorry for the bird. So what happened was this bird would bite me every time that I would do a bird show. And, I mean, he was a master at intimidation. This bird, I remember I was sweeping out the birdhouse one time, and I leaned the broomstick up against his, his birdcage. And I went to turn around. As I turned around, I heard this snap. And I'd look. Bo, that was his name. Bo had taken the broomstick, and he had snapped it in half with his beak. Just pop. Just it broke in half. And I look at him, and he goes, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. I'm thinking he's going to say, that could be your finger. I mean, that's how he was. He was intimidating. And I remember one day, I'm about to do the bird show. And I don't know if you've ever been here, but I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Has anybody ever got to a point that's it? I'm not putting up with this anymore. Have you ever been there before? Do you know that is a good place to be? Can I get an Amen. When you finally say, enough, I'm drawing a line in the sand, I'm not going to be intimidated by a bird anymore. That was my declaration of faith right there. And so I remember I go back and I'm getting ready. So his declaration of faith was that he wasn't going to be intimidated by a bird. Usually, you know, when people talk about declarations of faith in a Christian context, they're talking about faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and for their salvation. His declaration of faith was that he's not going to be intimidated by a bird.
Okay. I need to do the bird show. And every time I'd ever done the bird show, I was, I'd always, you know, hesitate when I put my hand up there because I knew the bow was about to bite me. And so anyway, I remember the, the first day I made that decision. I just grabbed Bo. I jerked him off the off of his perch. And I'm walking around, and I would always open the show with bird with Bo because he's the one that would raise the flag to the top of the flagpole. So I'm pacing back and forth, and I'm, you know, starting the bird show, and I'm, I'm moving Bo like this. I said, good, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Masterpiece Gardens and to our exotic bird show. My name's Eastman. All my cast members are called macaws. They're from Central and South America, over 320 different pair of birds in the world today, ranging from small budgies and parakeets all the way up to the large macaw. And so I do a whole bird show. That was what I would do. And so as I'm doing the bird show, and I get going, and this all of a sudden Bo starts doing this. He starts rocking. Now, nobody knows what that means except me, because Bo would not bite you. He would just rock and milk it. And he'd rock about five times, and about the fifth time he would just dig in. And so I'm there, and he's starting to rock. And because I've been moving like this, Bo has gone to the end of my fingers. He's, he's up here at the end of my fingers. And he's done these five rocks. I knew it just comes five times. One, two, and it's coming down for the kill. And I feel it. Well, all of a sudden, all that boldness and all that confidence I had, have you ever had it just leave? You ever have that? You're not putting it up with it anymore, except maybe this one more time. It was just like, you know, ah, he's about to bite my finger. And I remember I flinched. And when I flinched, I squeezed my forefinger and my thumb together. And between my forefinger and my thumb were Bo's toes. <laughs> Three years at this point, I had been intimidated by a bird. Three years, I have his toes in my finger, and I am squeezing, and I'm realizing the people don't really know that I'm squeezing. I'm squeezing. So I'm making my face look relaxed, but on the inside, I am like, I've waited three years for this. Bo jerk up. He's flapping his wings. You know, feathers are flying. I'm just squeezing the snot out of his toes. And I just look at Bo and I go, Bo, what's wrong? Something must be wrong with Bo. Just hanging on. So I turn loose of his toes because I didn't want him to fall off because my dad wouldn't have liked that. And I get done and Bo flies off my hand and he, he just flies behind the counter where nobody can see him. He gets behind the counter and I stoop down. Now, you got to remember this. Three years. Everybody say three years. I don't think you really understand the impact of this that this bird had had on me. Three years. I get down and I pick the bird up. Now, I'm underneath the counter so nobody can see me. I take my fist. Say it one more time. Three years. I take three years. This has been building up. I take my fist and I just go pop right in the beak. Pow! It felt so good. So you hit a macaw in the beak. Somebody call Animal Protective Services. I stand up after popping the bird in the beak. I stand up and Bo is doing this. Now, you know what? From that day forward, I never had any trouble with that bird. I quit being afraid of the bird. Now, let me tell you something. Why do I tell you that? Because, you know, we get... Yeah, why on earth do you tell us this? Because this has nothing to do with Christ, sound doctrine, or Scripture. These little things in our life that seem to just, just paralyze us with fear, whether it's the fear of man, whether it's the fear of failure. 
Maybe it's the fear of losing a spouse. Maybe it's the fear of your kids breaking wild. And you get this fear, and if you're not careful, it will paralyze you. And I realize that, hey, this is just a pile of feathers. That's all this is. It's just a bunch of feathers with a beak. And it doesn't have a beak. It does. But you know what? I am bigger than this bird, and I do not ever again need to be intimidated by this bird again. And so what would happen was every time that that bird bow would start rocking like that, you know what I would do? I'd just grab his toes, and I'd squeeze his, squeeze his toes. That's what I would do. And the bird would remember, uh-oh, don't want to do that. And do you know what? Sometimes when the enemy comes at you and he tells you you're going to fail, that you're not going to be able to make it, that your kids are going to break wild, this is you're going to go. Yeah, that's what Satan's all about. He's Satan's going to come and tell you you're going to fail. Yeah, that's ooh, that's a scary Satan right there. Yeah, yeah, a lot scarier than that Satan who wants to deceive and end up having me spend eternity in hell. This is this guy. This this one he's preaching about. Oh yeah, he's scarier than that. Because that, that, that Satan wants you to fail. Bankrupt. This is going to happen. You're going to utterly fail at what you do. When the enemy starts to tell you that, you know what you need to do? You need to pinch his toes. Well, show me where they are so I can start pinching. I had no idea the Bible taught that you, the way you defeat the devil is by pinching his toes. Well, there's some life application like I've never heard before. You need to remind him what Jesus Christ did to him on the cross of Calvary. And what would that be exactly? That Jesus, who knew no sin, was made to be sin. And he made a public spectacle of the devil. Tri so, yeah, you got a little, yeah, okay, they made Jesus, who was had no sin, to be sin for us. Got it. What exactly does that mean? What's a sin? I mean, here you've talked more about this macaw and the abuse that you inflicted on it by, you know, punching it in the beak or hitting it in the beak and, you know, crushing its poor little toes and somehow this is supposed to tell me something. You've talked more about the macaw and than you have about Jesus. What's a sin? What do I need that? What do I need Jesus to die on the cross for me for? What's all that about? Triumphing over him through the cross. I want you to know the enemy has no power over you. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. Yeah, so so that means I'll succeed and not fail, right? And every tongue that rises against you in judgment will be condemned. Because this is your heritage. Would you touch somebody and say, he's preaching good this morning? No, he ain't. So there you go. If you were to attend the uh, church in the Drunken Monkey Bar, that's an example of the sermonizing that you would get it has nothing really to do with jesus christ sound doctrine or what god's word really says in context but man it would make you feel better that you know hey you know satan can't keep you down woot yeah that's so um well am i opposed to the uh preaching in the bar um yeah this is what they're going to be getting well at least you gotta, you know, you gotta give them this. At least they'll have an interesting environment around them to learn this false doctrine in. So, um, but yeah, they're not gonna hear the truth because this guy doesn't know it. All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. And if you'd like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address: talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>